Welcome to the Nations Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. It's also Palm Sunday. Uh, it's the day traditionally where Christians celebrate the triumphant entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem. I'm so glad I haven't got a defeated Saviour. How many of you are so glad with me that we haven't got a defeated Saviour? And so today, I want to take you back to a passage of Scripture and uh, uh, <clears throat> a, a preaching revelation. I feel that for many Christians, we've struggled along the way to grasp the full measure of. We grasp it in part, but I think at times we really do struggle to uh, apply the full measure or the full depth of what uh, the Bible tells us about this very thing. And the, the reason for that is because I think here in the West, we have the cynical view that if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. How many of you have had, uh, you maybe right now you've got the voice of your dad or your granddad saying, if, it's, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Is it just me? I want to suggest to you today that what we're about to unpack is so good and it is so true. And we struggle so much. The voice of this, the cynical person inside of us struggles to actually receive the goodness of what uh, this truth is all about. And today I want to speak on the grace of God. I want to speak on the grace of God. And today, so why don't we stand to our feet? We want to honor scripture today, Romans chapter 5. It's nice to have you back in the room, by the way. Nice to see your eyes again. Romans chapter 5, reading from verse 13. Therefore, just as sin, say sin, entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people. Say all people. Because all sinned, to be sure. Sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more? So how much more did God's grace, say God's grace, and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin, the judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass or the shortcomings of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Can we just give Jesus a big shout of praise for that? So good. Grab your seat. I want to preach to you on the thought. Embrace grace again. Embrace grace again. I believe that today after I finish with you, you're going to fall in love with the cross all over again. You know, and, and particularly if your name is Grace, you're going to get extra hugs today. But I want to speak to you on the thought. Embrace grace again. Hey, I legit love boats. I just love boats. I love getting out on boats. I love the aqua color of the ocean. I love the, the, the hum of the diesel. I love the adrenaline rush when you get like a bite of a big fish at the end of your rod and you're reeling in it. I just absolutely love boats. I also happen to be very blessed to happen to have a few friends that uh, want to put up with me for a whole day of my lame jokes and my bad sandwiches to take me out fishing for a day because I generally believe that boats are like small children. The best ones always belong to someone else. And so I don't own a boat myself, but I've got friends that actually own boats. 
and they take me out on these boats, and, and I just love it. And I just, I just love boats, right? I've got a friend who actually owns a boat. He takes me out on his boat um, fishing from time to time when I beg him. And uh, he lives, he's got, a, he's got a holiday house in Mandra, and he parks his boat by the jetty just in front of his house by the canals. And um, <clears throat> what he has to do every week or so, though, is actually drive that boat to the big jetty, load the boat onto the trailer at the back of the car and bring it home and hose it down with a high-pressure hose. The reason for that is that if, when he leaves his boat for too long in the water, barnacles start to form under the waterline of the boat. Now, the top of the boat, above the waterline, might still look very clean. It's comfortable to sit on. All of those things might look like there's nothing wrong. But barnacles forming at the bottom of the boat is not a good thing because it does change the, 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 hydro, um, the, the hydrodynamics of the boat. It doesn't um, go as smoothly. Uh, you know, it's got to work harder. It, it starts to get a little unstable. You don't want barnacles on the underside of the boat. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because this gospel of grace that the church heard through Paul after the death and resurrection of Jesus. When, when Paul began to preach the gospel of grace, it was a gospel that was absolutely pure and had the power to change and transform lives. But over a time, over a time, the gospel of grace in the hands of church leaders and Christians, over time, because when you begin to retell it over and over again, it does sound too good to be true, barnacles started to be added to this gospel of grace, people started to add a few conditions attached to it, started to add some legalism, started to add a few performance-based things, a few things, a few, you got to measure up, get your act together sort of things. Barnacles started to form on this gospel of grace, so much so that Paul started to get a little bit annoyed about this adding extra stuff to the gospel. How many of you know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful enough just on its own? It doesn't need our extra ideas or opinions or additions or add-ons to it. In fact, Paul started to get a little bit annoyed when the church in Galatia, which he planted and preached this gospel of grace to, after he left them to go plant some other churches, he had heard word back that the gospel coming out of the church of Galatia had started to get a little funky. They started to add a few little extra things on. They started to tell people that you can be saved by grace through faith, but you also, you know, you got to make sure that you also get circumcised. You also got to make sure that you behave a certain way. You got to observe a certain ritual. They started to add a few of their own ideas to this gospel of grace. So Galatians 1 verse 6, Paul says, I'm astonished and extremely irritated. If you ever want an excuse to be extremely irritated, it's right here in the Bible, okay? You have my permission. Just joking. I'm astonished and extremely irritated that you are so quickly shifting your allegiance and deserting Him, being Jesus, who called you by the grace of Christ for a different, even contrary gospel, which is really not another gospel, but there are obviously some people masquerading as teachers who are disturbing and confusing you with a misleading, counterfeit teaching and want to distort the gospel of Christ twisting it into something which it absolutely is not. So what I want to suggest to you today is that it's time for the church to embrace grace again, to embrace the gospel that Jesus wanted us to preach and the gospel that Paul preached and the gospel that birthed the church into being. And the reason why I think we like to add barnacles to the bottom of the vehicle of God's grace is because we just think surely, there's got to be more than that. It doesn't make any sense that all of humanity's sin 
will be dealt with by the death of one man. How crazy is that? How ridiculous is it that your sin is just as dirty as my sin? Surely your sin's dirtier than mine. Surely you're a worse person than me because I behave better than you. I dress better than you. I'm better educated than you. I have more going for me than you. Surely, surely Jesus doesn't treat us all the same. It's absolutely scandalous. It's absolutely irrational. It's absolutely illogical. But Nations Church, that is exactly the point. Oh, you guys are getting real quiet. The gospel doesn't need us to add our own estimations of right and wrong, performance or non-performance, whether we measure up or we measure down. The gospel is just powerful, just as it is. I need a resounding amen. Why does Christianity sometimes feel like hard work? Why does it sometimes feel obligatory? Why does it, why does it feel like sometimes, oh man, it's like, oh. Why does, it, why, why does Christianity sometimes feel like a, a drudgery? It's because we've gone and added barnacles to the vehicle. Of it. The cross on its own is beautiful. Sir, madam, I want to tell you, if you were just to behold the cross and all that the cross is, it needs nothing else. I need to resound. Someone needs to holler in my ear today. It needs nothing else. It's time to embrace grace again. You know, I want to go deeper with you with this because I think that the power of the grace of God actually lies in you and I recognizing our sin or our sinful nature. Grace is only at its best when we recognize and fess up to our worst. This was the essence of Paul's Romans chapter 5 teaching that we just read. Because you can't talk about grace if you don't talk about sin. Sin is essentially missing the mark to fall short or to fail, to wrongdo or to disobey. And in a roundabout kind of way, I think in the 21st century, in, in modern times, the enemy has attacked our revelation of grace by attacking our understanding of sin. So what the enemy has done in, in, in the, is that it, he, he's come up with this work kind of gospel, this modern version of gospel that tells you that you are enough. Tells you that you're awesome. There's nothing wrong with you. You are amazing just as you are. You don't really need God. I want to tell this to you today. You need to wake up again to the gospel. We've all fallen short. And so in, instead of attacking our understanding of grace, the enemies attacked our understanding of sin because we can't fully receive the full measure of this unearned, unmerited forgiveness and favor of God until we come to a place where we admit, I am nothing without Him. I have fallen horribly short without Him. And without Him, I am not enough. But by His, come on, and you're resounding amen. Only by His grace can I actually be saved. Friend, you are not enough on your own. On your own, you are, I am nothing on my own. Some of us need a reminder that outside of the grace of God, we'd probably be dead in the gutter. What are you talking about? I'm doing okay. I'm a self-made man. Sir, you are only where you are today, but by the grace of God. And we will never fully embrace grace again. I don't care if you're the most practiced of saints in the room right now. We won't fully embrace grace again until we come to a place where we actually say, Jesus, I, I admit that even after all these years of following you, 
I fall horribly short outside of your grace. And every day when I wake up, I will fall short again. But your grace doesn't ask me to measure up. It measures down to me. I need a resounding amen from you. Jesus actually deals with this whole conundrum in Luke chapter 7. This is such a powerful account. Scripture comes alive when you start to see it through the lens of the cross and what Jesus has done for us. In Luke chapter 7, we see this account and Jesus is actually having lunch in the house of Simon the Pharisee. How many of you know what a Pharisee is? A Pharisee in the first century were these religious people that thought that they could earn their holiness and they could work up to it by getting more educated, by behaving a certain way, that they could be more accepted by God than everyone else in society simply because of their status and standing based on their own performance and behavior. Follow me so far. Sound a little bit like the way we, we do Christianity sometimes. Hey. But here is this Pharisee, and Jesus is having lunch with this guy, and it says this in Luke 7, verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. We don't know who she is. She's got no name, but I can tell you now, she's a hero. It says she was a sinner, and when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. She doesn't even stand to look him in the eye. She stands behind him. Picture this with me. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. So this Pharisee, he's not even saying it out loud. He's just muttering to himself, this man, is he or a prophet? We'll know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. If you know that, you can whisper under your breath and Jesus still knows what you're talking about. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he goes, well, say it then. Just a side note, if you dare to ask Jesus to speak his mind, he's gonna, you've got to be ready for some, some big's going to happen here. It says, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors who owed 500 denarii and the other 50, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both, right? One with 500 and another with 50. Big difference. You follow me so far? It says, tell me therefore which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Then he said to him, you have rightly judged. Just a bit of a side note. How much you love God is dependent on how much you realize you've been forgiven of. The reason why we don't fall in love with Jesus is because we actually forgot how much we've been forgiven of. We think that we're here today because we're just awesome. And this is how we approach Jesus. We kind of come, come thinking, man, I deserve to be. We don't deserve to be in his presence because it says this. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. She gave me no kiss, but this, you gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Oh, I need to preach into this. Here were two people in the very same presence of Jesus. One was a guy that thought that he deserved to be in the presence of Jesus because of his good standing and his right behavior invites him to the house. Come on over, have lunch. We'll talk as equals. I want to give you some of my best knowledge. You can share some with me and maybe, you know, we can iron, sharpen iron. We can do this. But on the other side of the ledger was a woman 
We don't know who she is. We can probably guess that she lived an immoral life and had a bit of a reputation. The Bible doesn't name her. What she does was she pushes through her own self-consciousness to interrupt a lunch that two men are having. Come on, that is a big no-no in first century Middle East. That a woman who has a reputation would interrupt the lunch of a Pharisee and the Messiah. And yet she pushes all of that through because she recognizes her need for grace. She recognizes that I am nothing without Jesus. She doesn't even come and stand and eyeball Jesus as an equal. She stands behind him and drops to her knees and begins to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. And then Jesus begins to say, Simon, you don't get what she's doing because you think that your standing with me in my presence is because of what you've done and how awesome you are and what you've earned and all of your intellect and all of your education and all of your study and all of your good behavior. But this woman understands that grace is not come about by how you earn it, but grace comes about by how you live under it. See, the key to embracing grace ultimately is humility. Because you will never be able to acknowledge the dirt and the muck and the rottenness of your own soul if you don't have humility. Pride will tell you, you are awesome. You are more than enough. You don't need God. There is nothing wrong with you. Your behavior is justified. Your right and wrong is relative. That's what humanism and pride does. But humility before God tells us that I am nothing without you, Jesus. The reason for that is because you can never live above grace. You can only live under it. Humility is the key to embracing grace again because humility is the only thing that can remind you of who you are if Jesus wasn't in your life. You might be fifth generation Baptist preacher's kid or you might be the vilest of sinners. We all fall short. You cannot live above grace. You can only live under it. I need a resounding amen. And unless, unless we come back week after week, day after day, with that realization, we will start to add barnacles this powerful message of grace. I want to say this to you today. If your gospel, the gospel that you hold in your heart, cannot hold up as you tell it to someone in a hospital bed breathing their last breath, then your gospel's worth nothing. If your gospel's too complicated for someone who is in their last hours of life that they cannot understand, it is a useless gospel. But if your gospel is so simple and so profound that even a sinner on a cross next to Jesus can receive it, then it's a gospel that can change the world. Can I need a resounding amen? This Easter is time to embrace grace again. Simon said, this woman, this woman, she's, she's wiping my feet with her hair. You, you, you got to understand. You think that there was nothing wrong with you, Simon. You think that you could speak to me and we could just exchange ideas. When I came in, you didn't pour my head with oil. You didn't wash my feet with water. And yet this woman, who knew that she was undeserved, 
did all of these things for me. And Jesus began to unpack the scandal of grace. See, our entire world system works on a system of natural justice and natural consequence. But Jesus came to give us an unnatural justice. He came to pay a debt that we could not repay. And here is resounding amen. He took upon himself what was rightfully and justly ours to have punishment for our sins, for our own wrongdoing. And Jesus, he completely undid a world system, a world mentality that karma says you get what you deserve. I want to say this to you today. Thank God we didn't get what we deserve. Imagine if you actually got what you deserve. Imagine if I got what I deserved. I shudder to think what my life would be if Jesus actually left me to my own devices to get what I deserved, to get what was coming to me. And Jesus plays this out in Luke chapter 7 between this sinful woman and this Pharisee church, it's time to embrace grace again. If you're here today, and I've been in the place that place before, maybe you're watching online where you felt like you can't darken the doors of church because of how bad you feel about the things you've done. And you've stayed away. You felt judged by people. You felt condemned by people. You felt like you couldn't even go to connect group because if only they knew what you were up to. I want to say this to you. If you've ever felt that, I'm so sorry, because that is not the church of Jesus Christ. If you've ever felt that way, then we've misrepresented the gospel to you. I want to say this to you today. If you feel like you are far from God, that you are unworthy, the house of God and this grace is exactly where you need to be in Jesus' name. And a resounding amen from you. Maybe you're here like me in certain seasons of life where you've judged and condemned people based on your own standards because you're now doing really well. See, we've all been, we've all had pharisaical thoughts towards someone else's struggle. We've all thought to ourselves, you really need to get your act together, come on. How hard can it be? We judge people based on our own privileges. And see, we forget, if you don't think about grace, we forget that we are only where we are but by the grace of God. For so many of us, we get so far ahead in life. The blessing of God, the support structures we have, the church community around us. I'm only half put together right now by the grace of God. And yet we judge like the Pharisee. We make people feel like you don't dress right, you don't talk right. This woman that came into the room in Luke chapter 7 might not be the kind of woman you might even want to sit next to at church. And yet, the gospel of grace needs no barnacles. The gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't need our add-ons, our additions. Jesus just says, come as you are. He says, no matter where you are right now, how far you think you are right now, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15, Eugene Peterson translates it like this in the Message Bible in 2 Corinthians 5 15. Our firm decision this Easter, everybody, is to work from this focused center. One man died for everyone and that puts everyone in the same boat. Hello. Wake up, we are all boat people. We're all refugees, not of this world. And yet he's pulled us and rescued us to make us citizens of heaven. 
We're all in the same boat, and that boat doesn't need our barnacles of legalism, of, of performance, of asking people to measure up, of not accepting them because they smell a certain way, they look a certain That boat doesn't need our additions, our humanism. That boat, we are all in the same boat. He included everyone, say everyone, in His death so that everyone, say everyone, could be included in His life, a resurrection life, a life far better, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. Wow. How many of you want to embrace grace again this Easter? The same grace that saved you when you weren't good enough to measure up is the same grace that's going to save your neighbor. That same grace that with which Jesus reached out and found you, his long arms of grace reached you where you thought no one could find you is the same long arms of grace that someone in your world needs to hear about. Is this helpful to you guys? Oh, wait, there's more. Huh. Wait, there's more. It's not the steak knives. So much better. See, here's the thing about grace. It's not a one-off only offer. It's not a gift that you just unwrap once. The grace of God is a perpetual gift. How many of you love gifts that keep on giving? It is the gift that keeps on giving. Yes, in the recognition of humility brings us low and we recognize like this woman in Luke chapter 7 that outside of Jesus we are nothing and we can't measure up so he measures down to us and we receive and we embrace this grace and it washes us clean and we're made whole. But how many of you know that when we receive this grace, Jesus doesn't immediately take us straight up to heaven, though that would be nice. He leaves us in this messy world. So it would be cruel of Jesus to give us grace, to convey us out of darkness and into light, but then not give us grace when he leaves us in this messy world. So when we embrace grace, unmerited, unearned, comes and fills our lives, illuminates our lives where there's darkness. But then we continue on in life. You know, life still is messy. Here's the theology that you need to, to, to grasp today. Just because you receive the grace of God, Get your forgiveness and get accepted. It doesn't mean that God removes every trial and hardship from your life. You still need grace to live in the world that He's left you to live in as a testimony of His ongoing grace and glory. 2 Corinthians 12. This is Paul, right? By the time he writes 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is well saved. He's the great apostle. He's planted churches. He's the father of the early church. And it says here, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, <laughs> here's a great apostle. He's saying, you know, just in case I get a little proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, okay, Paul, I'll take that thorn away from you. Did he say that? This is what God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, catch this. Why would Paul need grace if he's already been saved? Why would Paul need grace when he's already been forgiven, he's washed clean, he's the great apostle. And yet God says, my grace is sufficient for you, is enough for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. Now it's starting to change now from God, take away, take away my thorn, take away my weakness. He says, therefore, I will now boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. And what is wrong with this guy? 
in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. you're You're not getting this. When you see your life through the lens of grace, when you embrace grace again as a perpetual, ongoing gift that you can keep receiving, suddenly how you see what you're going through changes. Paul says, I had a thorn in my flesh. We don't know what that thorn is. It was, I can tell you now, it didn't sound fun. We think, scholars believe that it is some physical impediment that was quite serious. Maybe life-threatening, we don't know. But it was a difficult season in Paul's life. And he said, I asked God three times to please take it away. I don't know about you, but if I was Paul, I'd do the same thing. How many of you have thorns in your life right now? The thorns that maybe right now in your marriage or in your kids or in your finances or in your health or in your workplace. How many of you have a thorn that you're dealing with right now? Me and six people. Come on. The rest of you are thorn free. Thorn free as free as. Come on. How many of you got thorns? I have thorns. And I've asked God to remove. See, what I want for my life is for God to remove every single thorn that I've got right now. But how do you know God doesn't always give us what we want? He gives us what we need. (laughs) Grace might not be what you want. But I promise you, if you've got a thorn right now, grace is what you need. And this might disrupt crazy faith Pentecostal theology of yours. But sometimes God does not remove the hardship we ask Him to remove. He gives us grace to face it. Oh, that's awesome pre- preaching, PK. That's, that's good. I know I've been in quarantine for a while, but that's all right. That's awesome. God doesn't always remove your mess, your hardship, your pain. He, he, he's not the fairy godmother that, bing, suddenly it all makes it go away. Paul asked God three times, take it away from me. I don't want it. I don't want what I'm going through right now, God. I don't want it. And God's best answer for him is that I'm not going to take it away from you. I'm going to give you grace while you're in it. And then suddenly the penny drops with Paul. He's now seeing his hardship through the lens of grace. And he's saying, now, I actually don't care that I've got hardship and persecution and insults. In fact, if they're there, bring it on because all the more there's going to be grace. So what is Paul saying? Is Paul saying, I would rather have weakness and hardship because it means I experience grace than to be here having no weakness and no hardship and never experiencing grace. I would rather have a testimony in the test than have no test and no testimony. Oh, I'm preaching now. It's time to embrace grace again. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to behave for it. And after you've got it, when you find yourself in hardship and trial and pain, there's sufficient grace for you. Embrace grace again. Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com.